Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on Cyberate.it using the discount code PODCAST. You're listening to the 401 Access Denied Podcast. I'm Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and CISO at Cyberate. Please join me and my co-host, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist at Thycotic, as we discuss the latest news and attempt to make cybersecurity accessible, usable, and fun. Be sure to check back every two weeks for new episodes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of 401 Access Denied. And we're really excited to be back with you to share some more interesting discussions and hopefully another educational format for you. Um, we thought a different approach at the beginning of this uh, week's episode to really introduce your host and give you a little bit more background. Um, so, you know, so you basically get a little bit more familiar who, who, who we are and what we do. So my name is Joseph Carson. I'm actually based in town Estonia. Um, so, you know, a small country, the other side of the world. And um, my role is I'm the Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Thycotic. And really where I'm doing a lot of research, sometimes getting involved in penetration testing. I've been in this industry now for more than 25 years. So this is where a lot of these gray hairs and wrinkles come from, is, is a lot of the, the wars and the, the, uh, you know, the um, experiences, I would say, and, and, and the lessons learned over the years. Um, so, you know, really in-depth in security industry, you know, worked for many years in different uh, capacities, um, but really kind of, really, my goal is to really share my experience and knowledge with you. So I'm one of the co-hosts of the show, um, and I'm really excited to to also have uh, Mike Gruen, who's another co-host with me. And so, Mike, if you want to give a little bit of background about yourself and, and share with the audience. Yeah, definitely. So, yep, Mike Rowan. I'm the VP of Engineering and CISO at Cybrary. Um, like Joe, I've been... Uh, in the sort of technology space for over 25 years. Uh, don't have all the gray hair to show for it, but uh, definitely have been doing it. Uh, started as a software developer and have always been in sort of a cybersecurity adjacent um, spaces. Um, my last company was doing uh, uh, user entity behavioral analytics, uh, so a security platform. Um, and so it was sort of a natural fit as I came here. Uh, to take on more and more of the security role um, in turn, and in addition to um, managing the engineering team and all the technology that we have here. So yeah, I'm really excited that we're doing these podcasts. I love talking to Joe and uh, look forward to getting started. Awesome. And today's topic is one that's probably been a pain during our entire career. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's one that is really that it's repetitive and we don't seem to get away from it, it is you know, the bad bits of passwords. Um, passwords just pick up so many bad habits over the years and we seem to get in this rut and there's there's been numerous discussions passwords are going to go away, they're going to disappear and we've been you know hearing that for the last 20 years at least you know repetitively um, and I don't feel you know in my jobs and roles and what I do I honestly don't feel that we're getting any further away from them what I do feel is I, I'm, I'm less let's say typing them in or interacting with them um, rather than what I would have been before is having to keep trying to remember and, and reset and so forth. Uh, but there's a lot of bad habits out there. Um, so Mike, you know, what, what's your experience and, and what bad habits have you seen uh, in the industry? 
Yeah. I mean, uh, my experience is similar to yours in that I think, um, with all of the tools we have now between SSO and password managers and things, I am happy that I only have to remember like a handful of passwords. I think it's down to three or four and then everything else is remembered for me. Um, and a lot of just sort of clicking and saying yes. Um, but in terms of bad habits I've seen, I mean, everything from patterns I know, like even on, not even on personal passwords. Like I remember working at companies where the Wi-Fi password was spring 2017, fall 2017. You know, that's, that was their rotation. It was sort of like, what's the point of rotating it if it's going to be something that we can all guess after we leave the company? Mm-hmm. Um, that type of stuff or, um, and you know, there's the typical password reuse. Um, I think one of the ones that's most common is like when you're, um, and we were talking about this, uh, just as we got started, um, when you're signing up for a service, and you know mm-hmm. it's asking for a username and password, and maybe your password manager doesn't pop up to automatically fill it in. So you're like, oh, I'll take care of this later, and whatever. You put in some some password, and maybe you don't ever get back to it. Maybe you don't have a password manager, and it's just like you use some sort of default, like oh, easy to remember mm-hmm. password. Um, I think those are some of the some of the you know big you know the the most common bad habits we've seen. Um, I'm curious what your experiences are. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, one of the things that I think that that have probably changed over the years, in my view as well, is we used to have these, you know, the thing about people writing them down in paper mm-hmm. as well. You know, that, that used to be putting them on the post-it notes. Um, you know, when I used to remember going around, I worked in you know foreign exchange and money markets and trading floors, and you simply just lift up the keyboard, look underneath or you know, you know, under behind the monitor, and you would right. find passwords written down. And even I remember doing penetration tests on on maritime vessels. And on a lot of navigational systems on the bridge and a lot of computer systems that's on the bridge of the ship, it would be simply, there'll be a, a post-it note with four numbers written and, and stuck to every device so that the, you know, the crew would be able to know what it was so they could easily access them. Um, but my view on that, that has simply changed a bit. Is that I think um, you know, for, for the average person that's at home that may not be, you know, is tech savvy, putting them down, not keeping it, I think that's one of the, the problems is you know, putting them in maybe a locked drawer or a locked location or somewhere that's harder for, you know, for people to gain access to. So really, it really comes into there's some bad habits that people, you know, that have changed over the years. But I think even to the point where even the pastor reuse is probably that's the one that we need to get out of is where people continue reusing the same password. And even to the point where they're just even simply using those small variations. Um, I went to a lot of hotels, you know, even airports where the password has been the same for like three, four years. No one's ever changed it. And that means that um, what even what's the point of having it if it's something right. that becomes static and even public searchable as well? Um, so there's a lot of bad habits that people have out there. And I think my, my goal eventually is I, I look, I separate them into two different buckets. is the ones that we use as humans and the ones that we use in systems and automation. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to treat those differently. Um, the ones that we use in systems automation can be very complicated and complex and long and, and can be rotated very frequently. But the ones that we enter as humans, I think we need to get to the point where humans have to less enter them in or use them. Or even, even they should not even be creating them in the first place. Um, so that's something that I would like to see moving forward. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think uh, I think about my own like Wi-Fi password at home, which uh, you know I went through the process of setting up um, profiles I could push out to all my iOS devices, so I could go with a really complicated Wi-Fi password. And then as soon as we had guests coming over, and my wife was like, "How do I get people on our Wi-Fi?" And it's like, "Well, you 
kind of don't because it's really long. Um, and so having to set up a separate VLAN for, uh, you know, and guess, and again, it's coming up with a password that's easy for us to remember. Um, that's good for our guests. We probably don't rotate it nearly enough on our, you know, it's because we can mm-hmm. give it to friends and family. But I think about those things as well. I think those are some, you know, the more, you know, the more we can sort of move towards devices remembering passwords and having more complicated passwords, I think the better off we are, even for the ones that are, you know, let's try and identify the ones that we don't have to enter as humans and try and limit it to just that few. Um, that's always my goal is to limit the number of passwords I have to remember. Yeah, and, and the limit, the but that we have to manage them as well. You yeah. know, we, we want to systems to do it in the background for us so we don't have to. Um, I think it's the less humans interact with them, the, the safer we ultimately, and, the, and the, the, the least the risk of them becomes reduced. Um, even to your point is, you know, I, you know, when I tell my family and you know, wife and kids, oh, you know, guess what's happening this weekend? We're changing the home Wi-Fi password. <laughs> it's not the most exciting time of the week. <laughs> so, uh, and I do change it on a regular basis, and, and it does mean that it's a pain to reconnect some things again. It's a it's a real pain in order to get devices which you have to sometimes even reset them to mm-hmm. factory settings so that you can actually get them to the point where you can actually re-add them back to the network. And that becomes very problematic. Um, and even for you mentioning about you know, guests coming over and they want to have Wi-Fi access. And especially you know, in Estonia, you would have international guests more frequently, where mm-hmm. it's not about, you know, okay, if you're in a country and you have you know, 4G, whatever, and your phone is perfectly fine. But if you have people coming internationally, then it costs money for them to, to use uh, mobile right, internet. Right. So they're like, okay, I need the Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi password, and you're like, okay, <laughs> exactly. I, I can do that. So you end up, and so because you know, I have segregated networks right. at home, and then you're like, okay, now I need to open up a guest network. Exactly. And then, so you open up a guest network for for those guests, and then you have this, you know, very simple password, or you can have a compl- complicated password, but and have it as a QR code that they can scan, um, and have mm-hmm. that QR code, you know, well hidden um, away. So you really. We need to get to the point where yeah, it is simple enough for people to use and gain access, but at the same time, making it secure and, and safe you know, and, and protecting what, what matters to you. So it's, it's, a, it's a challenge between usability and security. Yep. Uh, and that's, that's something we always have to find uh, that, that kind of middle area. Yeah, and I think another thing, I think we've talked about... Are, yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think one of the things, and we've talked about it in the past, which is people not really realizing how much uh, depends on their email and the, how important a strong email password and multi-factor authentication and things like that are for email, given that any website you go to, you can use forgot password. And so even if you are doing, you know, being really good about not reusing passwords the only password that really matters in a lot of cases is the one to your email account. Um, and so just making sure that that one's being changed regularly and that you enable whatever you can to, you know, multi-factor, as I said, um, to, to protect it. Yeah, absolutely. One of, one of the things is that I, I look at different accounts from different risk factors of what they're mm-hmm. protecting because not, not every password is equal. That's the most right. important thing is that not all passwords are equal and not all accounts we are protecting is equal. Uh, and I look at it different things from you know, whether it you know, be my Twitter account where it's just about, you know, it's about my opinions and thoughts. <laughs> right, I look right. at, you know, to my email account, as you say, it could be much more sensitive information such as, you know, my location or my ad preferences or my contact details or, you know, what you know, messages I've been sending with friends and contacts. 
and also password resets. I've, I've even heard, you know, a lot of people even just email themselves their passwords so they can remember and their email account becomes the password manager. Right. Because this is what they simply search for, you know, where's my username and password and they find it. And, and so it comes, it's really, and also the bank account as well. So you have to look at them that not all accounts are equal, not all passwords are equal. So therefore I classify them. I always have them classified into separate classifications of risk, meaning that, the ones that I don't care about, they're just these, you know, one time only or kind of the information behind them is not so sensitive. Then the password itself, it, it just needs to be a complicated password, you know, something that's complex. And, and I prefer even not to have the type of, so I, I do use password managers to mean that I only need to, to know a few very long, complex, good passwords, which I rotate, you know, typically not every 30 days or every, every three months that, you know, cause that just becomes over indated. But right. um, my password routine is that uh, the password rotation is between six months and a year. Mm-hmm. And it means that at least, you know, cause I, I look at it from the algorithm mathematical perspective is that if my passwords are long and strong, and good and unique, then any password cracking technology, um, some of the best out there could take up to a year to crack. And so my year is my threshold is that none of my passwords should be longer than a year. And I have this kind of routine of every periodic saying that I have a report, which passwords are aged, and then I go on into rotating them. And that's from my personal side. Mm-hmm. Um, so even you know, from, from a corporate side, of course, going beyond password managers and using things like privilege access, where it even separates authentication and the authorization side and adds much more controls such as multi-factor authentication, Single sign-on, um, reducing you know the the even the times where I need to change the passwords itself, it will change it for me, so I never need to do that. Mm-hmm. So there's different things is that you shouldn't treat them all equally, and you should look at it from a risk perspective. You know, it's like um, I guess the cards in your wallet. You've got loyalty cards, which you don't mind if somebody you know gets access and swipes because they're adding <laughs> you know points to your system. Then right. you get things where those loyalty is money, and then you get your bank card. And how you protect each of those is is probably very different. Yeah, definitely. And I think things that I take into consideration and that sort of when I look at like risk is anything that's really tied to my identity. I don't, you know, even if it is just thoughts and ideas, the idea that it is my identity is definitely in a very high category Mm -hmm. right up there, pretty close to like banking and other things. Because if someone is able to impersonate me, that's, that's not good. Um, and so it sort of goes from there all the way down to like, do I really care if somebody like were to get access to this game that I play? Like, there's no, there's nothing tied to it. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, it's definitely. Um, it's like, yeah, there's no link. There's no. There's major impact other than losing points. <laughs> exactly. Maybe. Maybe. Unless they're really good and they want to, you know, get my high score up there. But yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's one of those. It's it's. I think. Um, I think assessing risk is one of those areas, you know, it's, it's adjacent to passwords. Um, and I think it's one thing that humans are notoriously bad at. I think trying to assess risk in a, in a reasonable way is, um, there's a lot of people who are over, over to it. I probably fall into that category. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and then there's people who totally underestimate. So I think risk assessment is one of the harder ones and, and maybe something for a future, uh, future podcast. Not that this is, all about identity, but I think um, you mentioned the whole social, you know, um, sorry, um, credit rating and stuff. I think people don't realize that they need to, as soon as their kid gets a social security card, that there's the potential that they have their identity stolen before they even go to get their first credit card and stuff like that. And it's, it's, there's just, it's 
just tough to manage and tough to stay on top of. But, um, but yeah, so uh, I think we sort of went a little straight there. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things related to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things related to that, I remember I did research. um, I did a project that was called back to schools in Estonia and it was about me going into schools and, you know, I thought I was going to educate kids, but I learned more from that project from the kids that taught me. Oh, interesting. And one of the things I, I realized was, and I was looking at what age group, when I originally went in, I thought it was around the 12 and 13 year olds where I could have the most impact that I can actually go and make the most influence. And when that project, when I actually went in and did the education, I found that I was already too late. I was actually already getting to the point where they already had bad habits. Mm-hmm. They were actually not password protecting anything. Everything was unlocked. Right. Their friends knew their passwords. They were reusing passwords all over the place, um, if they even had one. And it became a really bad habit and bad trend. And I decided that I wanted to find out how young I needed to go to in order to be able to change you know, the future rather than re-educate. You know, uh, right. And what ultimately ended up happening was it was six years old. Mm-hmm. That's where basically that you need to get to. And actually, cyber criminals... That's where they're targeting kids is actually at the age of six. Right. Because at that point in time, if they do identity theft of a six or seven-year-old or eight-year-old, whatever it is, they've got one is good credit rating. <laughs> and so, and it's identity theft. And the parents will not know that their identity has been stolen until they're about 15 or 16 when they start getting a bank account opened or start going and doing maybe a, a scholarship or something, you know, applying for universities and colleges that's right. when they find out when they start looking at that. You know, when they start getting these social security numbers, they start applying for other types of, of identities. And that's when they find out the identity's been stolen. And it gives the, the criminals years of right. staying hidden and abusing that uh, before it gets detected. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, it's funny you mentioned the whole kids thing because I, I get a little frustrated. I mean, I have kids, I have younger kids um, mm-hmm. in elementary school and middle school. Um, and you know, do a pretty good job with passwords. I think for them, it's, you know, writing it down on a piece of paper and keeping it someplace in a, in a locked drawer is important just because my wife and I need to be able to access it um, for them because they can't remember passwords. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I hear goes on at school is interesting where they have Chromebooks and they have their Google Classroom accounts and so on and so forth. And all of the administrators of the school, their teachers, whatever, have access to their accounts. That's fine. They have their passwords. Um, and they have their passwords written down on a long sheet of paper that the you know for all the kids because they might forget their password. Um, and my son coming home and telling me he changed his password and then it stopped working uh, because they had changed it back to the one that the teachers <laughs> use. So and it's like that seems a little you know like and they and it went back to whatever that standard one is. And I think that that's mm-hmm. in some ways sort of teaching a little bit of a bad habit. Like you know that here's a kid who took the initiative to go ahead and change his password. I get why they probably, but if they have administrative privileges, they probably could get into. Clearly, they could get into the account if they needed to because they were able to change the password. So, not exactly sure what the uh, what the reason rationale behind that was, but um, but yeah, I think it's. I think we need to do more than just educating kids. I think we need to make sure that we're also educating the people who are educating kids. Uh, absolutely, and that, that was one of the things as well. Is that as I was doing that research and projects, I was learning a lot from from uh, doing that project. It did teach me a lot that actually you need to go and it gets into the parents as well. It gets mm-hmm. into the teachers and into the influence because ultimately 
you know, if we're talking about bad pastor behavior, that's where it starts. It starts at school. It starts in the education system. If we want to make a difference, we need to make sure that it's the beginning, that they start really early and that they actually get good hygiene. And if you're getting to the point where they're, you know, the, the teachers are, you know, getting them simple passwords or writing it done and having it all on a piece of paper and on the table, right. then, you know, that's setting a wrong example to begin with. So we really need to look at how can we make sure that one, as we start, you know, making sure that from, from the early age, that there is good practices that they can get into. Because even uh, the same with my kids as well, um, which I even get surprised that, you know, they, they choose wise passwords <laughs> as well. And actually, you know, I, I've taught them well. Um, but at the same time, if they do forget it, um, then, you know, resetting it, uh, the process is somewhat, you know, you know, sending it in an SMS or sending it in text, you know, you start looking at yourself thinking, okay, that's, you know, we're already going down a, a bad path to that perspective. Right. But we do absolutely, you know, this to really start repairing and getting away from the password bad habits that we have a result in the workplace today. It does need to start in the education system. You need to start really, really early. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, and, and getting back to our earlier point about, you know, getting away from uh, people remembering passwords. I know we've talked to you in the past. I'm, I, I know you have a lot of opinions about moving to, you know, what's passwordless and what does that mean? It's um, a topic that's come up at Cyberry a couple of times as we look ahead to how we want to do authentication. And I'm curious what your thoughts are mm-hmm. on sort of trying to move to sort of, sort of passwordless thing. And maybe you could explain, you know, what that means. Sure. I mean, passwordless. I'm very, you know, very passionate about the terms <laughs> and a way I look at passwordless. Um, to me, you know, I've had a lot of discussions with journalists over the years, and we've had back and forward. You know, when they're asking about passwordless new technologies that comes out, and for me, it's it's not passwordless. What it is, it's less passwords. We have the mm-hmm. the the right words, just in the wrong order. And what it means is that humans are entering passwords less. less. They're doing it less frequently. So there still is, I think passwords will eventually turn into not the, the password function that we use it today for you know, authentication. It will be mostly used for a backup as a recovery password mm-hmm. that allows you to, to type it in, but you won't use it frequently. It's like, you know, where um, I think the iPhone example is probably the best um, example where they're using a less password feature when they're using biometrics. So when you basically, you know, start up your iPhone and you log, you know, enter your passcode or passphrase that allows you to unlock the phone. Then you can, you know, do all the functions. But when the, the uh, iPhone gets rebooted, it will ask you again for that passcode. And I think that's the example where I think it's really good, you know, for those uh, to really understand that it's not, it's not removing the passcode. And I remember recently listening to, to a podcast that actually took a person through creating a fingerprint biometric on a phone. And they were like, but why do I need to put a passcode in? And it was because of that reboot ability or that you go to do maybe a, a pay function that it will request you additional security. And I think that's where the password is going when we talk about password lists. It's less interaction of passwords, but password will become a, a backup recovery key in the future. We still need to have some type of either reprovisioning purpose or that you know the security... Uh, risk has changed, so therefore you need to really make sure that person is the authenticated person, mm-hmm. and therefore it does become a recovery key in some regards. Yeah, I mean, and the context that came up at Cyberry is as we are adding more and more sort of um, SSO capabilities and and social, mm-hmm. you know, social login. You know, at some point, at what per- at 
at what point do we hit a percentage of our users that don't need to use a username and password to authenticate into our system where we've offloaded our that that whole process to mm-hmm. whether it's their company's SSO or to Google, Facebook, Apple, there's a bazillion of them. Um, and mm-hmm. so at what point can we just have a totally, you know, there's no password. And for those users that don't want to use those systems, maybe it is just a put in your email address and we'll send you a magic link um, and that'll get you access for some period of time, that type of that type of system. And then it really offloads a lot of responsibility from us. Like, great, we got hacked. Uh, well, not great. But if we do get hacked, like we don't have to worry about like some password table that just also gets exported um, and sort of limits our risk as well. I really mean for the for the setting up of accounts. I really love the magic links concept. Yeah. You know, the ability to to do that one one time only link, or um, but it does mean that um, it means that you have to really protect your email account. Yes, <laughs> you know, absolutely. It becomes that your email account account becomes a much more uh, security needed control. So it means that yes, you may not want your email account to be just protected by a password by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you may want to have additional multi-factor into that account. That account becomes almost equal to that of a bank account um, in regards to its risk. So I, I do like the ability to have passwordless you know, provisioning um, and the ability to set those up. But at the same time, it means that the risk is offset to the location. Yeah, but and I think to to sort of counter that, I mean, we're already at that point where your email address is, as we said earlier, right? I mean, anybody can use a forgot pa- if they get into your email and they use a forgot password. It sort of uh, it's already that risk is already there. We already have that in our system today. Um, I, there's actually plenty of um, systems. It's funny. Um, there's things that never made it into my password manager for whatever reason, like the mm-hmm. like the syncing didn't work out, and so. I don't know what the password is. It doesn't show up in my password manager. It's clearly something hard. And um, where uh, I just use forgot password and that's it. Like I enter, I have to access those systems so infrequently that I don't even bother um, remember, you know, putting the password into the password manager at this point. Cause uh, it's, you know, um, and so just, just, (laughs) I'll just use forgot password every time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it becomes the easy workaround. I mean, people, right. people also will do that as well. It's like, oh, I've got access to my email. I'll just use my email as my you know, password manager. And that right. becomes the reset, reset. And it just becomes that frequent reset where all of a sudden now... Um, and, and it becomes... That's where the bad habit gets into even reuse of passwords. Right. Now I do a password reset. It gives me a link. And now I have to create a new one. I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to forget it again. So um, I may as well use the one I remember. And it's the, and it's the one that the last one that you created it for another site. So it gets into a lot of bad habits. And I, um, and I, I think that we need to have... And, and, and then people get into even started using browsers to store passwords as well. So there's a password manager in the browser. And that worries me as well. But I think that there has to be a balanced trade-off between usability and, and, and the risk for offsetting. Maybe for the consumer and the average person you know, that isn't technical, storing in the browser, you know, it, as long as they're making complex, unique passwords using that function, it, it might be okay. Um, but for organizations that are, you know, protecting sensitive systems, that's definitely, you know, not a good habit to get into. And they always definitely need to make sure because if an attacker, you know, all of a sudden installs a compromised browser extension, mm-hmm. and now that browser extension can access their full hard drive and they compromise their local account, and they have access to all those passwords that's stored in the browser. So, you know, there's a lot of ways around that. So it means that, yes, 
that there has to be this trade-off balance between you know, what is the risk we're protecting and should, should that even be a possible work, you know, kind of, let's say, bypass that, you know, attackers should be able to use? Mm-hmm. How do we protect it? And it means that, yes, now you have to think about, okay, I have a password now for logging into my, my laptop. I now need a password for logging into my browser password manager. Right. And I now need another. So it becomes that, you know, the incremental increase of passwords. Yep. And I think the other thing that's related to that is people not really realizing that, um, if somebody has physical access to your computer, that means that they they can, unless you encrypt the hard drive, they have access to everything that's on there. It's pretty, you know, you can pull the hard drive and you can plug it in. And if it's not encrypted, then um, anything that's on there is also, um, you know, readable. And so when you're getting rid of a computer, making sure to wipe it, I mean, just generally using full disk encryption, um, it can be a little, it's, it's a little frustrating that, Computers don't ship with that, you know, operating systems don't just enable that by default. Um, that's still on the user to check that box. Um, but I think people sort of, you know, yeah. forget about physical access. Some, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's where some password managers end up getting is is between password managers that people are still accountable for for responsibility, for doing it themselves and for making this the selection. That, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're responsible for rotating them, responsible for managing them, responsible for keeping them tidy, keeping them unique choosing the right complexity. Um, this is where, you know, I think this is where I get to the point that organizations and businesses are looking to, to really get away from bad password, high on passwords uh, managers mm-hmm. and moving into public access management because that's where it starts getting into more centrally controlled. It gets into more centrally po- uh, policies and it takes away the, the responsibility and accountability uh, from the user themselves. So it, it, it allows more centralized, more consistent controls, and it takes away that password hygiene problem from actually having, you know, and this is really beginning to is that the less we have people to think about and need to be securing and focusing on security, if we take that pain away, the more mm-hmm. secure that actually they become over time. I agree, although I do think that there's plenty of companies and corporations that put these password policies in place that don't even realize that they're that they're actually counterproductive. Hey, we're going to make you rotate your password every 30 days or every 90 days, and it's going to have to have this complexity, and it has to... Have, you know, you start putting all these rules in place, and next thing you know, people are actually... The, the passwords are hard to remember, um, easy for a computer to crack, yeah. and, you know, and having to change them all the time just leads to other bad habits. And I think, you know, it's one of those things that's definitely a pet peeve of mine when I'm filling out, you know, these security questionnaires from, from various companies and they're like, what's your password policy? Does it have this, 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 this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, actually, I think ours is better than that. And, um, and then I have to go and, mm-hmm. and sort of explain it to someone about what we actually do. Um, so I think that there's, you know, we're still operating from these, um, you know, ideas that were born in the 80s and 90s, especially the 90s, um, that need to like be revisited, um, I think. And and I think a lot of people have, and I know that um, even NIST put out the new standard around password and, and policies, but people are still slow to adopt. Yeah. I was a bit kind of... I agreed with some of NIST's recommendations, but mm-hmm. I also disagree with some of them. And there's, there's still a continuous yes. debate into it as well. <laughs> Yes. Is that the, t- the difference between today is that yes, you know, the, the password rotation was was originally designed when we only had one password to remember, mm-hmm. not when we had thirty or forty or a hundred. And it was um, and it was a maximum of eight characters. <laughs> yes, and we had a maximum of eight characters. Correct, and and 
that complexity meant that, yes, it was much more easier for people to remember and use, and that was acceptable. But now it's not scalable in how we use them today. And well, they made the changes to, you know, you know, as long as you use multi-factor authentication and you have a long password, it doesn't matter in complexity, you don't need to change it. And that's where I think some of the security industry, including myself, we kind of like, we're drawing the line going, no. Right. Um, and this is where I've learned even... Um, I did a, a, a recent webinar that was based on instant response and how do you de detect that you've been breached. And one of the methods that I've found is, is that if you're unpredictable, and it means that you, you may not change all passwords every X amount of time, but there's certain accounts that you might decide that let's, let's do a random password change and 5% you know, of our uh, system accounts or service account passwords out there. Let's just do random. And mm -hmm. that random check and random change, which is unpredictable and unplanned, can actually sometimes uncover and surface up um, you know, undetected breaches that you may have not been aware of. So there's a different debate out there that I, I think that never changing passwords until you've been breached is not a good right. Oh, yeah, no, I agree that right. There's there's um, right, there's a you as you said earlier, you have to base it on uh, you have to take the mathematics into account, right? If the if the password can be cracked in a year or six months or right. whatever it is, that's how you have to rotate it. I do like your random thing. I um I also do that, but mostly to find out who has access to an account. Like sometimes, you know, you can't get around there's certain systems or um mm -hmm. That still have there's just the one service account and it's a shared username and password. There's nothing we can do about it, and we use password managers to sort of help manage that in our SSO system. But um, changing that every now and then just to see who reaches out to me and like, hey, I can't log in. Like, did somebody change the password? It's like, yeah, actually, I did, <laughs> and I didn't know you knew. <laughs> so yeah, the shared the shared <laughs> passwords. That's always a major challenge, and I think it's more frequently. Not so much for internal systems, but it's got more frequent for things like uh, cloud-based applications. That's where it's been common. Things like social media PR accounts. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, what I'm talking about. Shared, uh, drives. Yeah. Yep, it's, absolutely. It's, and it gets a bit concerning as well. Yep. Yeah, so. it's those things that just weren't initially designed for multi multiple users to multiple use. User. Right, and so there's only the one account because it's it's just the one account. It is what it is, um, and trying to secure those is always a challenge. And and you know the the sharing passwords is inevitable. And then next thing you know, somebody is like, oh, I need to, I, you know, this person's on vacation, so uh, I'm I need and I need access to that. So they sort of that password gets shared a little mm -hmm. bit beyond who the scope was originally intended for and stuff like that. Absolutely, and and it gets into even auditability. Mm -hmm. Is that you know when you have those you know those accounts with even take some companies Twitter's accounts that you've got like you know X number of people that are actually using those or even the company um, marketing accounts or their WordPress accounts and, and you get into you got people resharing and reusing and they don't want to log out and log in just because it saves you know sometimes saves time um, and just you know make sure that they actually have consistent access and so you get into well okay when you do the auditing not everything looks like root it looks like you're you know was it a WordPress admin account that looks like you're, um, you know, the same account that's logged into Twitter all the time. And you're going, who is the person behind that? And to your right. point, yeah, some of those accounts where you reset the password and people come to you, that's when you find out. Right. But that's what really, you know, that's what privilege access is all about, is about having the separation between the authentication and the privilege account. And that's where it turns into, you know, Joe Carson is, is the root account. Right. Or Joe Carson is the admin account. 
not that I had to find out who is admin and try to you know backward step it. It actually reveals, it uncovers, it provides that accountability and, and transparency. And I think that's where definitely when you're using shared accounts, privilege access, um, it almost becomes mandatory in those regards to make sure that you have that consistent accountability. Yep, definitely. And audibility um, is, you know, not so that's, that's yeah. the, for me. Visibility is the important part is that you, that you know, and you can account that this person was actually, uh, Joe was the root account on the system at this time, or you may find that, okay, there's two users on the system mm-hmm. at this time. And now I actually have accountability, not just to their using root, but what actions are also performing at that time as well. So I can say Joe was installing this application and, you know, another person, whatever John is uh, uh, doing a patch upgrade of this particular application. Um, they may be doing two different, you know, service desk tasks at the time, but you can now have that kind of complete accountability in regards to who is doing what with what and how and what's the, you know, what's the accountability of that. Yeah, and that's, I mean, when you talk about like AWS and some of the stuff, you know, or just the sort of IAM role, mm-hmm. being able to do things as a role for some temporary period of time. Um, I think those are some of the important things where you can sort of say, um, you know, give someone access to a system. They, they're still authenticating mm-hmm. themselves, but they're acting in this role, sort of the, the pseudo, um, if you will. Um, and so I think those are, you know, I would love to see the Twitters and Facebooks of the world try and figure out a way to sort of solve that so that we can have multiple people uh, <laughs> authenticate into those. Um, I do at least appreciate the ones that have the, um, hey, here are the different devices that have logged in and you can actually, the different sessions and you can go in and audit that and log those mm-hmm. out. Um, I, I at least appreciate when when that's available to me. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's important. I think that's when we really get into the ability of applying least privilege mm-hmm. uh, to things like cloud and SaaS-based applications, yeah. where you start with no full act, not having full access. Things might be blurred out. You might have little uh, buttons that says, "I want to access this," so I need to not provide justification. Mm-hmm. So this is where it gets into least privilege everywhere, yeah. not just in on-premise, not just in laptops and desktops and servers. It's you know cloud applications, it's web interfaces that now that we have to, you know, if we want to do something, I might be logged in as the administrator, but things might be not visible until I provide some type of justification. Mm -hmm. And that really provides that accountability. And it even gets to the point where if you might be sending all of this off to a seam, and now the analyst is looking through the seam logs and they say, admin, 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 and you're going, who is admin? what, What does that mean in my log files? And this, you know, provides that ability to backtrace and say, well, it was on this system this time. And this is the user who checked out or you accessed that account during that time. So going back to that accountability and audibility, especially when you're, you know, you're doing, you know, basically your security analyst filters through logs. And if those log files don't have any tie back, then they become almost useless. So, so I'm, really, I'm hoping that the audience is really getting a cast that this is a big problem. Yeah, <laughs> and it has exactly, many yeah. different facets that it gives into. And I think that, you know, I think all of us need to probably take a, a step back and think about, you know, maybe even just, you know, let's say, I, I really like when we get into, you know, a hack yourself type of thing. And think about, you know, okay, What's my security control of <laughs> And you find out what comes back. We need right, to do right. that kind of audit on our password hygiene. 
Um, you know, our, is there accounts out there that you forgot about? Um, is right. there, you know, is there passwords that you've reused many, many locations? Have you even went to places like, have I been pawned to check of accounts that you've used have actually been... It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, that was one of the websites I was going to recommend is have I been pawned. I mean, like um, for a company, we have ourselves set up as a domain. So we get uh, periodic emails from them when there's a new yep. breach. And then for my own personal, I check it pretty regularly. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, looking for those and, you know, when it comes to accounts you may have forgotten about or accounts you don't use anymore, mm-hmm. I think it's it, it's easy to add things. It's tough to remove things. So going and like, you know what, the one of the nice things about GDPR is this like right to be forgotten. There's probably a, a bunch of accounts you, you don't need anymore and, and you can just go ahead and delete and like feel pretty comfortable that, you know, if they're GDPR compliant, that they're going to remove everything about it and... um and I think going through and looking for those is another great way to sort of reduce uh, reduce your risk and re- reduce your exposure. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrae for Business by going to www.cybrae.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thycotic.com.